quarrels, disputes, arguments, and fights result in division and in separation and pain. Franklin Roosevelt said, There is nothing I love as much as a good fight. End of quote. Well, I want to tell you, there are Christians who are like that. They go from church to church looking for a good fight. (laughs) Quarreling and fighting comes natural to all of us. Why? Because each of us, naturally born, preferring to go for the juggler than to give in. This rambunctious nature has uh, been first seen in Cain and Abel, and then come to all of us through the hereditary law. People quarrel for all kinds of things. For example, some quarrel over ideas and opinions, as it happened between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was a good man, a righteous man. Paul was a good man and a righteous man. But there had to come a time for them to be separated because Paul was convicted of God's vision that he gave him on the road to Damascus. Secondly, there are some who quarrel over jealousy and envy. That happened to Moses. His sister Miriam and his brother Aaron were quarreling and complaining and moaning about his wife. But the God who sees the secrets of the heart knew that it wasn't a matter of Moses' wife. It was out of envy for Moses' authority. It is out of jealousy of his leadership. It was out of fact that they did not agree in the direction he was going. In those cases, as Moses did, leave them to the Lord. He'll take care of them as he did of Miriam and Aaron. But the third one, which I want to focus upon today, the third reason for quarreling happened over money. That is money of all its forms. Material possessions of all kinds. From all the way from the filthy lucre to the pure dirt. Now, to those of you who are not aware of what pure dirt is, it is real estate. Money is the number one cause of domestic arguments and domestic quarrels. Some of you may remember a book that came out a few years ago entitled Looking Out for Number One. I have read it. And I don't know whether you want to fess up to it, but I have. In fact, I had motivated me to write the book, Heism and Meism. When this man became a best-selling author, and he made a ton of money, his wife decided to divorce him. And she received a huge alimony. And somebody asked her, why did you divorce him? She said, well, I read his book. <laughs> The Bible gives us example after example of how money and possessions blind the eyes of people, even God's people. And the results are often disastrous. Love of money breaks up family. Love of money destroys friendships. Love of money causes wars and causes fights, domestic and otherwise. Now, Abraham and his nephew who had a relationship that is closer than a father and son, had to part company. Why? Because Lot had a greedy heart. 
In the last message, you remember, we saw Abraham, Sarah, and Lot coming out of Egypt in shame because they were out of the will of God. But you see, something happened in Egypt. Every time you go out of the will of God, it's not just a sin and repent of it. Something often happens every time you get out of the will of God. God receives us, forgives us, accepts our repentance, but something always happens. Turn to Genesis chapter 13. Verse 2 tells us what happened to Abraham. It says, Abraham came out of Egypt rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. (laughs) Abraham did very well in Egypt. I didn't. (laughs) I was in the wrong business. (laughs) The bottom had not fallen out of the commodity exchange in Egypt. Abraham went to Egypt with $1,000. In a very short time, he turned him into over (laughs) $100,000. In fact, Abraham and Lot became the gurus of Wall Street investments in Egypt. They were appearing on CNBC, Financial Times. They were headline news in USA Today saying, man and nephew made a killing in the commodity exchange. But as we will see later on in this series, not everything that Abraham and Lot have accumulated in Pharaoh's land was good for them. Some of these accumulations caused them problems, especially a maiden by the name of Hagar. In verse 3, Abraham finally returns to Bethel. Look at it very carefully. He returns to the very place where he was before. Bethel literally means the house of God. Now he had come back to where from where he had fallen. Now he had come back to where he belongs. Now he had come back from where he had left off, fellowshipping with God. And I want to tell you the best thing you and I can do when we spiritually fall off is to go back exactly to the same place from where we had fallen and there wait upon God's instruction. Abraham had come back physically. Abraham had come back mentally. Abraham had come back spiritually. Now Abraham come back seeking the will of God again. Abraham had returned to the place of obedience. And he bows before God and he waits upon the Lord in that order. Listen, it is of the mercy of God. It is of the graciousness of God that he overrules and overshadows our sins when we come back to him. And I want to tell you today that every new day, there is a new beginning for each one of us with God. In verse 4, Abraham publicly declares his dependence upon God and he calls upon the name of the Lord. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what he said here when he called upon the name of the Lord. Perhaps it's an echo of Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Most likely, that's what he prayed. And as Abraham repented of his sins, and then he begins to experience the joy of the forgiveness of God, as he begins to experience the joy of the Lord, as his heart begins to be filled to overflowing with the love and the forgiveness of the Lord. Something is about to happen that will break his heart. The man whom he loved as a son 
the man with whom he has grown to be closer than a brother is about to be wrenched out of his life. It is extremely painful, but it was necessary because Lot was a man whose priority were radically different from his God-fearing uncle. Money has now come between Abraham and Lot. You know, we say that blood is thicker than water. But I have seen right around the globe, not just in this country, trust me, (laughs) it's a universal principle. I have discovered that money proved to be the most effective blood thinner medication there was. (laughs) Now, doctors take note of it. In my opinion, prosperity had created more conflict, more division, more quarrels, more tension, more heartache than anything else. Had Abraham and Lot was struggling to make ends meet, had Abraham and Lot not become so rich and prosperous, their focus would have been on having just to survive. Their priority would have been cooperation together in order to make it together. Their eyes would have been on the Lord, the provider. But now they have money. I want to tell you something about money and prosperity. Money is no virtue like being poor is no virtue. Money and prosperity does not only create conflicts in family, but it does create conflicts in Christian work as well. I have seen it. I believe in what I'm going to tell you 100%. There is nothing that can kill a church or a ministry faster than a rich endowment. Did you hear me? Now, I want to tell you, probably 99% of my fellow clergy would disagree with me. But I can't help it if they're wrong. Look at every institution that started as a Christian institution, beginning with Harvard and Yale, and see how the rich endowment had got them. Back to my text. (laughs) Don't forget that both Abraham and Lot were rich. It's not just Lot who became rich. Abraham got rich too. Both have done very well in the commodities of Egypt. But there was a fundamental difference between the two. Abraham possessed the flocks, but the flocks never possessed him. Lot, on the other hand, let the flock own him. Lot was an example of a Christian believer who lets his possessions possess him or her. Lot is an example of a Christian believer who is more concerned about the well-being of the net worth than the well-being of the spiritual walk. Lot allowed success in Egypt to turn his head from godly endeavors to worldly pleasures. You never read anywhere that Lot ever built an altar for God. You don't read it anywhere that he came back to God. You don't read anywhere that Lot ever sought the forgiveness of God. You see, the tragedy is that Lot never really followed the example of his uncle. And as we shall see in the next message, how Abraham took 10% of all that he has 
and he offered it to Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. But Lot's motto was different. Not only he didn't give anything, but his motto, like the motto of many Christians, evangelical Christians in America today, make all that you can, can all that you get, and sit on the lid. <laughs> Lot was mean-minded, close-fisted, money-loving believer. You say, how do you know that he was a believer? Well, Second Peter 2.7 tells us that the only reason God saved him from the fire of Sodom is because he was a believer. A dear friend of mine told me many years ago, he said, the world is made of two people, the givers and the takers. And I cannot find a better example of this than in this passage of the scripture and the difference between Lot and Abraham. Ask yourself today, am I a giver or am I a taker? Lot was a taker, Abraham was a giver. Lot never acknowledged God as the provider, Abraham always did. Lot's life was filled with heartache and pain and grief because of that desire. Abraham blessed everybody that came within the sphere of influence of him, even the pagans. And that is why eventually Lot lost everything, including his wife, all possessions, and Abraham was blessed beyond measure. Don't ever forget that any quarrel like this quarrel between Abraham and Lot always starts in the heart. Major explosions don't just happen. They're often the result of minor conflicts. They're like the slow gas leak. It's been leaking slowly and for a long time. And all it needs is a spark and wham, explosion. And that is why the Bible tells us to guard our hearts against selfish ambitions. That is why the Bible tells us to guard our hearts from jealousy and envy. That's why the Bible tells us to guard our hearts against the desire to manipulate and cause division. No wonder Jesus told his disciples that said, A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. He said, This is the way the world is going to know that you are my disciples. How? By quarreling with one another? No. By forcing their opinion on one another? No. By demanding their own way? No. By bringing attention to themselves? No. He said, the world would know that you are my disciples, not even by performing miracles. But he said, by loving one another. It was said of the early church with all of its problems. Oh, see how they love one another. In Lot's heart, there had been a, a buildup of resentment through the years. It hasn't just started then. There was a buildup of selfish ambition. And that buildup kept on being fueled. And then when his cowboys and Abraham cowboys had a fight, the explosion took place. No wonder the Apostle Paul tells the Philippians in 2, 3, and 4, he said, Do nothing from selfish ambitions or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others. He goes on in that same chapter, verses 14 and 15. He said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you are what? Light. And Abraham looks at Lot and he says, Please, let there be no strife between you and me. 
Let's not fight this out. Let's not argue. Let's not quarrel. Take what you want. Now, by the world's standards, Abraham is a kind of dumb. By the world's standards, Abraham is stupid to be generous to such a selfish guy like Lot. But wait a minute. God promised the land to Abraham. Exactly. Exactly. You see, when God promises you something, it is guaranteed. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to fret over it. Abraham didn't have to stand up for his rights. It is guaranteed. Abraham didn't have to quarrel. It is guaranteed. Abraham didn't have to fret over it. It is guaranteed. Abraham didn't have to fight over it. It is guaranteed. Abraham didn't have to worry and have sleepless night over it. It is guaranteed. You see, you can afford to be generous because God guarantees His promises. And there is no selfish lot can ever grab God's promise out of Abraham's life. So what does Lot do? Well, he says, Uncle, you're very generous. I can't do that. No. Verse 10. His eyes become the binoculars of his heart. In his selfish greed, he grabs the well-watered valley of the Jordan. In his desire to grab the best for himself, had ultimately proved to be his downfall. I want to tell you something about the eye gate. Covetousness enter into our minds through our eye gate. Lust enter our minds through our eye gate. Greed enters into our mind through our eye gate. Eve saw the fruit of the garden and it was beautiful to the sight. And the rest is history. Achan, the son of Kami in the book of Joshua, saw the gold and he saw the, the, the forbidden things. He took them, he coveted them first and he took them and he hid them in his tent. With the result of his death and his family's death. David looked and he saw... Bathsheba, and she was beautiful in appearance. So he killed to get her. No wonder Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 22, he said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. When I was a little boy growing up, in Sunday school, we used to have a song that we used to sing. And I... It goes something like this. I won't sing it to you. I want to keep you until I finish. (laughs) Oh, be careful, my little eye, what you see, what you see. There is a God in heaven who is watching all the time. Oh, be careful, my little eye, what you see. What enters through your eye gate, if you gaze at it long enough, it will become your undoing spiritually. Be careful what you read. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you covet. Be careful what you desire. Be careful what you long for. Because God may just give it to you. He gave it to Lot. 
No matter how attractive and pleasing to the eye it may be, if it is inconsistent with the Word of God, you better off close your eyes and get yourself a walking stick. Lot looked over the well-watered Jordan Valley. And the Bible said that reminded him of Egypt. <laughs> Lot may have left Egypt, but Egypt and the glamour of Egypt never left Lot. So he grabbed for the green spot without showing any responsibility for his God-fearing uncle. Lot was the type of Christian who would sacrifice principles for possessions. He was the type of Christian who would sacrifice love for lust. He's the type of Christian who was willing to sacrifice the master for materialism. Verse 13. The Bible just makes a statement. said the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinners against God. But that didn't make any difference to Lot. He made up his mind where he's going to go. Possibly. I know I'm speculating. Possibly. Lot said, boy, it was an opportunity for me to witness to that group. (laughs) You've heard that before, haven't you? (laughs) I think there's a principle here. I don't want you to miss it. If you select to get chummy with the unbelievers, if you select, if you choose to be chummy with the wicked environment, thinking that you can change it, be very careful. Be very careful because it may change you first. Look at verse 14. All the way to the end of this chapter. After Lot has left. Isn't it amazing? The Lord waited until Lot gone, and then he came to Abraham. And he said, now, Abraham, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look northward, look southward, look eastward, look westward. For all of this land I give to you and your descendants. Our lives are full of choices. We often choose what looks good to me. It looks good. But I want to tell you, horrors of horrors, if what looks good to you is not what God's choosing for you. What God chooses might not look glamorous. It might not look appealing to the eye. It might not appear good to the flesh. But oh, you can be sure it will be the more excellent choice. And Lot goes into... Sodom, and he stays outside the gate first. He stays there for a while. He hesitated going in. But then a little while later, he moves right in. Some of you are living at the tent outside the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of you are camping so close to the forbidden city. Some of you are sitting at the gates of sin. And what you need to do is to run. Get back to Bethel. Because the odds are that you will enter the city if you camp at its gate. It is a bigger chance for you going to get in than get out unless you run. Abraham did the same thing, you know, when he left the promised land. Remember last time? Before he went to Egypt, he goes straight out from the Canaan to Egypt. It was a long trip to begin with. But he said, no, I just go to the Negev. And just hang in there for a while. And then the next step was going into Egypt out of the will of God. 
Lot goes in, and overnight he becomes Mr. Success in Sodom. He probably became the city planner, and everybody respected him. But the Bible said he was tormenting himself. He was tormenting himself every day because he knew that that's not a place for a God-fearer. He knew he didn't belong to that place, and yet he stayed. He knew that this wasn't the place for a man who knew the living God. But after all, the man needed to get ahead. Until a disaster struck and his uncle had to risk his own life to rescue him. As I conclude, I want to give you four principles from this passage. I want to write them down, mark them down, do what you want with them. They have impacted my own life through the years. First, always return to the place of your failure in order to receive the Lord's forgiveness. Don't think you can get it somewhere else. Secondly, be magnanimous in disputes because God keeps His promises to you. Thirdly, let God make the choices for you. Because I tell you, it's not always the case. What you see is what you get. Fourthly, don't ever get chummy with the wicked environment because it can get you before you get it. And possibly you'd say, well, Michael, I have not returned to the place of my failure. I'm trying to hide it, try to cover it up, try to give money in order to make it easy. I'm trying to put hours in social work in order to make that easy. No, it will not become easy until you got to the place where you have failed and say, Lord, forgive me. I have done that many times in my life. Secondly... You may be a person who's camping right at the gate of the city. And the Lord is saying, run. Whatever you may be spiritually at this stage in your life as you walk, say, Lord God, your word has spoken to me. Your spirit has convicted me. Lord God, I've been camping at the gates of Sodom. And I know what's next. Help me to run. Lord, I go back in this place of failure, in the place of sin, and I come to you for forgiveness. Jesus, we bless you and we thank you that you are at the right hand of the Father interceding for us right now. We are thankful to you. Father God, what do we do? How could we live a life without you? And Father, we come to you right now grateful for that open door of forgiveness that you always hold your hand out to us and you always want us to come and be renewed. Oh, what a loving God you are. We thank you and we bless you. Father, the Holy Spirit knows the secret of the hearts. I don't. Sometimes I don't know the secrets of my own hearts. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful, but you do. And with that confidence, our Father, we come to you and surrender afresh ask you to fill us of your Holy Spirit, to strengthen us in you. For we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org.
That's ltw.org.